Welcome to How I Did It, where Coda's philanthropy and social capital team find out how successful leaders do what they do in the world of philanthropy and social leadership. You'd be hard-pressed to meet a person with a more diverse career history than my guest in this episode. My guest is Cara Peak. Cara is a Yaru Bonaba woman and chair of broom-based Nambu Baru Yaru Limited. She talks about her work as a native title lawyer in this episode. She is a social innovator and an entrepreneur and many things in between. You'll hear in this episode, Cara talk about what she learned, for example, um, during her time with the Apache people of North America. And you'll hear many other interesting insights into Cara, um, her journey and the people and culture and community that she represents. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Do you want to go back a bit um, to start things off and just just tell us a little bit about your life um, and the journey you've been on personally and professionally so far? Sure. So I grew up uh, in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne in a really multicultural area, although when my dad grew up there it was rural. And so when my mum, who is Aboriginal Chinese heritage, when she moved there, I'm reasonably sure she was one of the only people with dark brown skin um, in so it was a, a learning curve for her not to say that there's not indigenous people from that area but she didn't know anybody at the time and uh, yes yeah, so I grew up there went to local public school and you know did all the standard Aussie kid things like too much sport particularly in dreary Melbourne weather mm. um, used to freeze during winter <laughs> like walking to school thinking oh no I should be back up the top in broom I shouldn't be here um, and yeah, so after that, after school, I got a scholarship to go to Melbourne University. And so I started studying psycho- like university psychology when I was in high school and uh, was lucky enough to get into Melbourne and then also live on campus there at Ormond College, which was great. And so, yeah, I did a law degree and a psychology degree there. Mm. Then, after, what did I do after that? Um, Oh, I became a snow bum for a little while. So I finished my law degree. Hang on, I thought you said you didn't like the cold. (laughs) I don't know if I've got the right gear and if I'm snowboarding. But, you know, if I'm miserable in the wrong coat, then totally different story. Yeah, fair enough. Enough about Melbourne. Yeah. Um, No, so I finished my law degree on exchange at uh, UBC in Vancouver. And after that, I decided I deserved a break after five years study. So I lived in Vail, Colorado, and after that I decided I didn't want to leave the States just yet. So I reached out to a colleague of mine who was then head of, um, or global head of Indigenous and Communities at Rio, mm. and asked him if he could find me a job mm-hmm. <laughs> in the States. And was this the diamond mine initially? Uh, or no, something so else? I actually did that. So I went and visited Divic Diamond Mine on behalf of Rio Australia mm. when I was actually still studying and studying at UBC. And so did some community engagement work, um, interaction up there for yep. them. And after I was in Colorado, I went to Kennecott Exploration mm. and worked with, because the subsidiary of Rio Tinto, but worked with the San Carlos Apache tribe there. Mm. So they knew full well, obviously, that I was working for Rio. Um, But my job there was to help them set up a legal aid service uh, for the tribe, because they didn't have one, and um, to develop the scholarship program, essentially, for their kids Mm. that, you know, they're smart enough to get into the colleges, but the colleges also being exorbitantly priced in the States in comparison to the schemes here, mm. um, albeit they're not, you know, cheap here. Mm. Um, 
so yeah we worked together to try and to build up a scholarship program there and through that I was also lucky enough to interact a bit with um, people that were working for the White Mountain Apache which was the neighbouring because mm. uh, they had a legal aid service there. Mm. Um, what, what kind of, um, obviously you were, there to, you were there to do a job and the job mm. was working with community and building mm. corporate community relations yeah. but you've got an insight there uh, most of us will never get into an indigenous community or communities um, for those Apache communities. Uh, what did you learn from that interaction and what, oh, you know, I what, tell you, what can we learn from that? <laughs> when I first arrived, it was like I had just moved back home. Uh, I think that that's something that a lot of other people that aren't indigenous or aren't from a, not, a, not that they're not from a distinct culture, but there's just something different when you meet people that understand you instantly mm. and that you understand them. You understand their struggles, their triumphs, uh, the, their ways of living mm -hmm. and to an extent their belief systems as well because mm. they're quite similar for indigenous peoples across the world albeit with you know, ver variations mm. um, but very land based and holistic ways of, of being so when I arrived there as soon as I met the um, Apache people I just felt safe and at home and I realised that we have a very similar sense of humour and um, similar mannerisms. So mm. I don't know if, if you know, but indigenous people and in Australia as well uh, have a lot of nonverbal communication. So different um, signs that we use and facial expressions and all different things. And I was at a Christmas party for the Apache and there's a comedian there and he was telling a story about um, that exact type of communication and particularly communicating with those methods with non-Indigenous people and just the severe loss in translation, of course. Um, but one in particular, you'll notice this now that I pointed out, but if you go to different parts of Australia, um, some Indigenous people are a lot, will point at something or somebody by pouting their lips and um, in the direction to which they want you to turn. Mm -hmm. And uh, this comedian was telling a story about exactly that. And this is not long after I'd arrived. And I was like, what, what, no, what? Okay, hang on, where am I right now? And I said to my friend, I was just like, is he talking about what I think he's talking about? And she's like, oh yeah. So she then proceeded to explain that to me. Mm. I'm like, no, no, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I had to call my mom and just go, you would not believe it. Like, and so, just the similarities, which then of course comes comfort and trust yeah. as well. So yeah. uh, that was really good. But I was also open to the fact that I didn't necessarily know the Apache culture before I worked with them. Mm. So there was a lot more listening than talking. Um, you know, they all say, you know, there's a reason you have two ears and one mm. mouth. Yeah, and um, who'd have thought you'd learn about that kind of culture by going to listen to it? Apache comedians at Christmas party know, right? <laughs> inside of the world. So but, random. But I guess that's one way of listening, right? Listening to a comedian. But um, absolutely, it, the common humanity, even though people are divided, you know, geographically in other ways, uh, that common humanity on the other side of the world and finding that must have been really comforting. Um, but also, and I'm, you know, I'm admitting limited knowledge here, not expertise, but also um, historically. If you look at um, the experience of that particular culture and community mm -hmm. over the last you know, couple of hundred years or more, 
there, there may have been, I'm guessing, there may have been a, more of an affinity uh, or an understanding of com common experience historically. Yeah, Was that true? Definitely. So there's definitely a um, common understanding of the historical context, um, both pre and post colonization. And so if you're mm. talking post colonization, then also all of the heartache and the tragedy and but also the stories of resilience and resistance mm. as well so i don't know if you know but the apache um, a lot of people know about geronimo who was yeah. you know, an apache essentially freedom fighter and resistor and the bunaba people actually had as did many other groups but i know of um the bunaba people in fitzroy crossing had jandamara and he actually um withstood the onslaught of uh, the colonizers and the police and all different things mm. in quite a similar story to Geronimo as well, even though in two different parts of the world. And so it was really good because quite often as an Aboriginal person and I think more broadly as First Nations people, um, despite the shared history that we have amongst ourselves, but also with people that are not Indigenous, we consistently find or have a face with the need to explain ourselves, mm. explain our history, explain the intergenerational trauma, explain everything, educate. Our job is to educate whether we mm. like it or not. And so to be surrounded by people that you don't have to explain anything to, it's like being you know, with your own family. Yeah. There's just a common acceptance, understanding and togetherness that you can then you know, work on and, and, and move forward with. So mm. that was, it was disheartening to see some of the abject poverty and uh, social ills that face um, not only Apache, but First Nations people globally, mm. Indigenous people globally, and also, you know, just no change in a lot of it as well, it seems. And all of it is, most of it is symptomatic of what people are going through. And I think mainstream, not only Australia, but definitely Australia and um, other people in the world need to remember that you don't just get over that stuff. Mm. It's, it's an intergenerational issue and therefore it needs a big commitment and long-term commitment to help people process that because Anybody else in the community who may have been through similar things, like whether it be abuse or, or whatever, you can guarantee they'll be affected for a very mm. long time. So First Nations people are no different. Mm. Um, but the best thing about it is the uh, connectedness and the resilience and the hope. So hope is not lost. And in fact, it's grasped onto. And um, the fight forward uh, is a, a perpetual thing. Well, look, that kind of takes us to your work as a lawyer in representing mm -hmm. people um, around native title. Yeah. I'm assuming again that um, those experiences were quite formative. They shaped you uh, in, in your, you know, your career choices yeah. amongst other things. But just to kind of tell us a bit about that move, your time in sure. the federal court. And, so when and, so when I was in the States, at some point I was just like, oh, I better go back and use that law yeah. degree that I studied to do. Um, yeah, okay. And so begrudgingly almost, I came back home and um, I finished my practical experience as a solicitor in Sydney, but uh, I was then um, 
you know, successful in achieving a research associate position at the federal court. And then I um, progressed to being the associate to Justice North. And he'd obviously had some experience in native title claims and all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, just seeing him and his staff and everybody else involved, uh, just really trying to understand this long standing, obvi- well, obvious to me, connection to the land mm. and how it really differs between groups as well. So mm. there's no broad brush, the Indigenous people across Australia are the same. We will definitely have common elements. Um, and common understandings and lived experience. Mm. Um, however, we're very distinct groups. And, you know, we saw that, and there's the myth that we're, we're all nomadic and, and all these types, I mean, I might be that right now, well, yeah, right? That's right? Like I've kind of gone back to that. Um, but, you know, there are dwellings and there are all different things that are evident of, um, you know, people staying in the one spot, people cultivating different things and all that kind of thing. So. When I was at the federal court, uh, I quite enjoyed that, but also the breadth of the law. So mm. I wasn't just doing native title there. No, but you were, by the sound of it, and this is important, I think, you were informing the work of that yeah. court by helping with the evolution because you can offer firsthand. Yes, and, uh, and as well, similarly, yeah, similarly, there were other, um, the federal court was quite good at recruiting or purposely recruiting indigenous associates mm. and research associates. So even before I was a judge's associate, I did a fair amount of research around, um, say, First Nations like mediation systems like in Fiji. A very interesting guy uh, who I meet every now and again said to me, one of the issues we've got in Australia is that in trying to solve community problems, we've moved away from people in those communities solving the problems and it's these external actors and agencies and we need, in his view, um, to return to an Australia where people from the communities working in their communities are solving mm-hmm. those problems rather than you know the helicopter approach from the external people coming in to, to fix or solve you, know, right. you and, and, and the problem that they think you've got. So that, that was an interesting concept. You've kind of, seems to me, lived that in the sense that you've then evolved again into someone who's uh, increasingly, if you look at the roles you've had, taken on responsibility for working for in your community in Brooms. Just tell us a little bit about what, what that evolution looks like and sure. what you're doing now and what the community's up to. So um, I'm a firm believer in place-based Aboriginal-led initiatives and organisations. However, much the same as you know the referendum vote in the 60s, we can't do these things alone. We can absolutely lead them, we're smart enough to do it and we have the skills. However, in my view, indigenous people have been in an economic apartheid for a very long time. So therefore, we don't have the intergenerational wealth. We don't have, um, some of us don't have the uh, high level financial literacy that many like like somebody like yourself would have um, although we have plenty of people doing the work but you know on mass mm. that that knowledge isn't there yeah um, and so similar to what your friend uh, was saying regarding you know a satellite view um, I, I I would phrase it like this you wouldn't want me to come into your house and your family and tell you how you should raise your mm. kids how you should run your household anything like that how you should 
who you should see as a doctor, who you, you know, yeah. any of these things. Um, and similarly, on a grander scale, of course, I believe that whether it be mainstream Australia or metropolitan Australia, or not necessarily metropolitan, because you know one of the biggest populations of Indigenous people lives in Sydney. Yeah. So, um, but it is that external. Uh, I know best. I will come in and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, is it just doesn't work? And and if if it does, it would work in a very very short. But it's not a long t- it's not a long game. You might get a few quick mm-hmm. wins, and then it'll dissipate. So you you're kind of touching on it here, but I'm interested. What is the key um, to cultural intelligence? Oh, I think it's extremely important, um, and especially given not just Indigenous culture in Australia, but just the melting pot that is mm. the Australian nation, the modern Australian nation, although arguably it was the historical as well. It just looked different. Yeah. Um, and I think a couple of the key elements are forgetting or letting go of the concept of rightness or righteousness. Forget who's right and who's wrong. Um, stop thinking that everything that you think is an original idea <laughs> Um, I, 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 sometimes I get asked to speak to cultural intelligence and, um, you know, recently, I think it was at the MAV Tech Conference in Melbourne, I got asked to speak to cultural intelligence in the digital era. And one of the key things that I spoke to was the fact that, you know, some people will say 60,000 years, some it's edging up towards 80 now, but, you know, given recent data, but mm. 80,000 years of existence equals extreme corporate knowledge, right? Yeah. Now tell us um, tell us a bit more about what you're doing in your community now because you've gone through in the formal sense in terms of representation, you, you were a, a non-executive director in the organization that, that um, you're involved mm-hmm. with now, deputy chair and now chair. Yeah. It, is it lonely at the top because <laughs> <laughs> you've now got that position? You must get, um, you, you, must get um, you know, that's probably the opposite of being lonely. You must get a lot of people hitting you up for support, help, information, because you are presumably, you know, the go-to person as the chair and uh, yes you're, not, you're known yeah. in the community as that. So how, yes how does that no. play out? Yes and You live and work in Sydney. You work in a big, lovely building and um, you can go home to your family and, you know, live your best life. Mm. Uh, the same would be true if you're working for your own people. However, when you go to the supermarket, you're asked questions. When you go, you're changing a tire at the, you know, or, or whatever, um, you're constantly available, I yeah. suppose. And it's not just me as a chair, the board is in that situation and also um, obviously the staff as well. So whether things are good, bad or ugly, you'd be guaranteed you'd be getting a question. Yeah. Um, and... But we are we are kicking a number of goals around like uh, programs that um, push not push people but work with people along the housing continuum yep. um, from social housing all the way up to shared equity and open market purchase yep. um, and everything in between. Um, we have elders programs. Uh, we are developing um, Yaru specific outcomes measurement framework mm-hmm. um, that's based on our cultural belief system, uh, and we. Aside from that, we also have a number of property assets. We own a cattle station, um, in uh, obviously on our country, and export yards that exports to Asia. 
We have a joint venture construction company called Indent, and one of our first builds um, was our Mabulian Yarn Centre, which is um, uh, essentially for health and wellbeing, um, with all different community activities, has a cafe and different things. And we actually just won a um, Master Builders Award because we managed that build, and um, it's got some of the most uh, public art in any new build in Broome. And it was a huge amount of uh, community consultation around the build, the building's purpose, the artwork, and then obviously the Yaru artists that actually installed the artwork, but also were consulted around what, what it is that they actually wanted in general, the community. Um, I don't know how you would possibly describe what you do. Uh, I, I struggle. I went to the UK and, and someone said to me, what do you do? And I, after all the years of doing it, I'm still pathetic at trying to explain what? it. And yeah. I went on for about three minutes, uh-huh. and the person who asked me just said, went, oh yeah, I'm a teacher. I, was <laughs> like, yeah. I felt the right idiot. But um, yeah, I usually but, say it depends on the day. Uh, well, yeah, all the hour for you. But, but in um, terms of so give us, yeah, give yeah. us, yeah. In terms of advice, you know, obviously education is key, but diversity in education. So diversity in the books that you're reading, the people that you're talking to, the communities that you're engaging with. Um, whether traditional like tertiary education is your thing, mm. maybe it's not. Great. Go and pursue what your thing is, per se. But in terms of um, I really seek out opportunities that link with my interests. So I saw, for example, the NRWC board, I saw an advert for it and in true Cara form procrastinated until the possible end um, and submitted my expression of interest. I kid you not, 5 p.m. on the dot, that email went through. Because I was just trying to do everything else, right? Mm. But I knew that this thing had to come through. But when I was in, you know, living in Melbourne and... um, Working at the court, I would even, um, I think I, well, I've been told that the way that my brain works is rare in the sense that I can see the minutia and the big picture and all the steps in between. So if I want to do something, I can literally see how that will pan out. Granted, it may not pan out in the time frame that I always want, but I can see it. And so I can visualize it and um, understand... uh, the different people that I need to engage with or bring on mm. to help me achieve that goal, yeah, okay. to help me achieve it for the community. So um, even an event that I might be running, um, I look at all the different elements and pitch different elements to key different partners or, or people. Um, and I more often than not, I will say yes to an opportunity rather than no. The only times I, if I've said no or we've said no with our business is if the core values don't match. Um, if somebody is in it solely for the money, that's okay, that's your choice, but it's not what I'm going to be involved mm-hmm. in. Um, so definitely having integrity in the work and uh, saying yes and seeking out opportunities. The events that um, we run through the nonprofit and also through my events company, we look at those things in terms of everything is a teachable moment, right? We're going mm-hmm. to create a rite of passage for the local community mm. in ways that they want and are interested in. So you may not know this, but up there, country music's pretty big. So is hip hop. So we're, we're working on two completely different. One scary moment. I thought you were going to try and bring them together. <laughs> I think there are a couple of people that have tried that, but it Maybe. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then looking at so for me, everything is learnable. 
if I have, if I've got an interest, I have the confidence in myself to know if I wanted to, I could learn it and do it, mm. right? Granted, I could learn to run a marathon. Sure, don't want to do it. You know, that's very special um, people that can do that. Um, I know that you do, Sam. One of our brother-in-laws, he's uh, works with Robert Dickestella in the Indigenous oh, yeah, Marathon right, Project, he, yeah, right? Yeah. So he's run the New York Marathon, yep. the Volcano Marathon, and the North Pole Marathon. And he's like, you know, yeah, you know how in like Florida you and the Northern Territory, you keep an eye out for crocs with a rifle. <laughs> so in the North Pole, you keep an eye out for polar bears. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, well, the Deke was one of my heroes when I was growing yeah. up from on the other side of the world. Yeah, he was, he was pretty special. Yeah, so I think looking at it and going, that's what I want to do. How do I learn how to do it? And who do I need to help me to do it? Um, yeah. you can't do any of it by yourself. And, and we're, we're going to have to wrap it up now, but just reflecting on a couple of other things, eh? to me, uh, observations, you've got a natural confidence and belief, right? Yeah. Um, which helps. Now, not yeah. everyone's going to come armed with that, right? Um, but you do a couple of things, or you've done a couple of things that must have helped you in a big way, are my reflections. You begin with the end in mind, mm. so you can envisage something. Yes. Right at the start, but then you work backwards from there. You say, mm-hmm. "Well, I, uh, what are the steps?" Yes. Um, and the other thing I think you you talked about two things stand out for me in terms of how you how you go about it, what you think is important. Um, uh, first of all, getting multiple sources of knowledge, you're being exposed to different um, perspectives, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very important. Now you think about how people consume and how algorithms work digitally. Um, and you can, for them you to can be aware that that's actually going. Well, on. not even be. Yeah, that's right. right. People wouldn't be aware, but you'd be narrowed. It's been winnowed down, so you get in yeah. one point of view if you're not careful. Um, but even like I think it was yesterday, I heard about Uber, Uber Quiet, which is this service where you can request in advance the driver doesn't speak to you. Right, it's <laughs> like a dream. To so sometimes. you know, like yeah, but so you know, the, the article where I read it was talking about how um, how much you lose by not. Chatting to that person, right? hearing about their life, and I've had some amazing conversations. Yeah. With like a, I had a conversation with the Afghani uh, refugee. Well, he's he's got citizenship now, but like you know, refugee when he first came here, or a Nepalese. Well, the Nepalese guy was just like um, everybody that comes to Nepal thinks we all climb mountains, and I'm like. <laughs> Well, aren't there a lot of mountains? He's like, yeah, but only some <laughs> not, of us do it. Not a per- up every morning climbing <laughs> up the nearest mountain. Right? Yeah, it was yeah, exactly right. So there's that. And then the final thing that stood out when you when you talked through that last bit was how you you seek out opportunities. And I think that's the thing is that you're not waiting. No. And the most successful people Never. aren't waiting. You're not waiting for it to come along or for, for you to get what you deserve. Yeah. You're going out and seeking it based on what you know. Uh, you're interested in, which are, I think is also an important part yeah. of, of what you said. That it's got to you, you do. You're much more likely to do well if you're doing things that you care about, that you're interested in, right? And absolutely, you, absolutely. You, and you I think pursue that with vigor. I think one of the hardest things, though, is you pursue that with vigor for sure. Like my sister's nickname for me is the Enforcer, so she's the pit bull, which she will hate me saying <laughs> on here, but she never lets go. Right? Her tenacity is amazing. But in those rare moments where she's just not kicking something across the line, she'll give me a call and then I come call in and back in her up. Right? Sounds like a Quentin Tarantino yes. movie. <laughs> call, call, call the wolf. Right? Um, but the other key thing I would say is that I'm not a person that comes from money. Yeah? And so I have a lived experience of trying to chip away and find ways of doing things. 
And one thing I would say to anybody out there who is blessed enough to have that um, in their back pocket is to actually seek out the road less traveled and look for the organizations on the ground that already exist and back them, mm. you know? Um, because so often we have, and you know, in my involvement with Nexus, I've seen this to an extent, is um, that people uh, want to start a new project or a new organization or a new whatever without doing the legwork to understand what is actually there and how you can have an amazing, amazing imp effect and impact um, if you just back the people that are actually yeah. doing the work rather than like we were speaking about um, earlier today mm. of having the people just thing. come in yeah. and you know, oh, this is what you should do. This is how it works for us yeah. without any context whatsoever. Yeah, well that, that's valuable um, um, advice and insight for many people who would listen to this um, who work in some way with community. Mm. Um, it's good to remember or good to know if, if you haven't heard that before. Um, it's a very important aspect of the whole, isn't it? Yeah, so because people will welcome it. People will welcome the question, mm. right? Like one key element. If you're being genuine. Yeah, yeah, if you're being genuine and you're doing it with integrity. Yeah. And that's one core thing that I really try and adhere to is my work. It will speak for itself. Um, and I you know, do it with integrity. And if you approach with that mindset and an open mindset, um, indigenous people in particular, and also other minorities that are out there, and people in general are very generous. Hmm. You know, you will, you will probably get more out of it than you put into it. Yeah, sure. yeah, well, it sounds like you're putting a lot into a lot at the moment, and hopefully you're, <laughs> getting, hopefully you're getting something back from that. But um, you probably, we probably need to wrap it up there because you've got to get on and, and do all the things. So thank you for giving us uh, um, so much of your time and um, all the best with all of your different endeavours. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. That's it for this episode of How I Did It. For more from Coda, visit codacapital.com or email philanthropy at codacapital.com.